Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we are based, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay their respect to their elders past and present. Hi everyone, welcome to the 18th episode of the EWB Eona Studies Inspire series podcast, uh, the second episode of 2022. This is a platform where we converse with interesting people and share their learnings. My name is Rong Shuen, and I'm a third-year aerospace engineering and material science student at MetasW, and currently the partnerships director for the local chapter. Today, we're joined by our esteemed guest, Dr. Ian Cunningham, who's currently a research institute consultant for sustainable futures at UTS. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everyone. I'm really happy to be um, talking with you or sharing my story today. Um, so yeah, as Rong said, my name's Ian, a um, little bit hard to define what I what I what I call myself in terms of a job title, but I tend to work between the social and technical interface. So I originally trained as as an engineer, but I've only been working in that sort of social technical interface for the last um, fifteen or so years. Yeah, great. And so today, the general structure is we're going to explore a bit about Ian's undergrad journey, followed by industry, and then also his time with EWB. Um, and then into his uh, current role. Um, and so to start us off, um, our audiences are, I guess, you know, primarily um, new undergrads or just uh, finishing their high school career and uh, still deciding what career they want to do. Um, so I just, you know, to start us off, what do you think makes engineering such an important role? And uh, what attracted you to engineering? Sure. And actually, I should have mentioned, just so you know, the direction that I'm going to head with this is, um, Really, my focus at the moment, and just as some context where I started, is, is in international development, which is, yeah. you, know, you might have heard about aid. It's, it's really engineering that deals with fairly you know, basic services and basic needs, often in, in low-income countries or, or people who might be excluded or, or disadvantaged from, um, yeah, their, their access to things like water, shelter, energy, etc. Yeah, and I, I, I ended up, I guess, in this career... Not by accident, actually, but um, but it was still definitely not not a linear journey. And I, you know, I think like like many engineers, ended up in engineering. You know, I was, I was interested and in, in good at maths and science throughout university, and I, you know, I was, I was looking at both sciences and engineering. I think the, the the pragmatic, the practical aspect of engineering that you weren't just studying things; you're actually then moving that next step, which. Um, into the design areas to, to look at solving solving problems um, was really what it, what attracted me to the discipline itself. Um, but that's saying I, I really didn't know what I was getting into as well. I, I, I you know my high school was in a small country town. The first day I was at university was my first day at campus, and um, um, so it was somewhat um, going in a little blind. But you know it was it was it was a um, um, a happy stumbling into into engineering, I should say. Um, you know I. I I think I found um, the actual study, you know, sometimes dry, sometimes interesting, but um, when I look back to, I guess, the, the, the work that I've been um, able to do, I've, I've been really grateful um, for that kind of, yeah, the engineering training, the engineering grounding that I had. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. You know, was there potentially, you know, something, you know, that struck out to you um, in terms of, you know, environmental issues related to developing countries? Was there something firsthand you experienced, maybe even local in Australia, that, you know, drew you yeah, to that? Yeah, not, you know, my, the study, 
Um, the reason I did environmental engineering, I think I, you know, I've always loved nature, to be honest, and mm. um, and so that that was that was why you know the, our natural environment was in, was important to me. You know, this is back quite a while back. My, my study, you know, started the university in nineteen ninety eight, I guess. So that was really what first drew me to it. Again, you know, fairly naive to what it actually actually involved. Um, my my study itself was. Um, really you know quite water focused so it was at university of western australia most of the the the, um, the environmental engineering degree there at least is is quite water focused a lot of fluid mechanics um type subjects so um and oceanographic engineering type type roles you know my my subsequent careers did draw from that um but i think i think the the the, the grounding that the the study gives is is probably more um, you know, a particular way of thinking through problems and solving problems and approaching problems and designing problems. And I think that's probably what I rested on quite a lot. But, but really, um, yeah, it, it was the start of my learning journey. You know, that, that kind of learning obviously continued for me when I, when I ended up working in, in the sector. And, um, and I think it was really probably in my first job, actually, it was a mixture of Engineering, so that was a, a, a contaminated site remediation project. So where industry had been and, and basically made a real mess of um, how they disposed of their chemicals back in that back in the seventies and eighties, and they they really polluted this site. That um, a really beautiful natural site in New Zealand, actually, that people wanted to live in. And um, a big part of my role was both, you know, how do we um, address the contamination issue, but also the community around that site as well were really engaged. They wanted to see um, the site, you know, healed. Basically, they wanted to see the, um, the the pollution fixed, and they wanted to be restored to its natural beauty. And so, I got to work a lot with them, but also on the engineering side. And and I really that that was kind of a um, had a few um, aha moments. I think that was one for me. Is like actually, I'm good at this, and I really like this. I really like this kind of social technical interface where. Where, and recognizing that you know engineering is um, it's for people ultimately the majority of it and and I really enjoyed that that kind of mix between both the technical side and, and working with people yeah but that yeah so that was probably the first one of the first little things like huh I kind of like this social technical bit I you know it, it, I still like the technical side I didn't want to be all, all totally in the social jump feet first in the social side and and that was probably one, and you know, we'll probably unpack maybe a few of my other experiences. That they've all kind of tended to dance between those two spaces, I guess. But in terms of your undergrad experience, uh, was there any um, you know extracurriculars um, that you might have uh, got yourself involved with to you know, um, I guess you know, catalyze this uh, engineering or passion for engineering? Yeah. Yeah, you know, not really. I was really, um, when I started my degree, you know, I think there was um, the student group of the Institute of Engineers was, was had a presence at the uni. There was the engineering club, but it was very, um, there was no engineers without borders at that point in time. That really, the organisation itself, I think, started after um after I graduated, and actually, the engineering club wasn't really my scene. To be honest, it was a bit misogynistic in my my opinion. Oh. To be honest, um, and so I didn't really, you know, I, d- I didn't really have 
groups or other people around me at that time that kind of nurtured that interest. That really happened to me probably more once I left university. But, you know, I think it's a different landscape for, for younger engineers now. I, I, you know, I'm working at a university and I've, I've done quite a bit with younger engineers, mainly young people involved with engineers at borders, and there's just so many opportunities, I guess, to get involved and to dip your toe in, um, you know, people who are, who are interested in social or environmental change or that interface between engineering or engineering's role in social and environmental change that um, at least um, either they weren't around or I didn't look hard enough to find them, I think, when I was studying, to be honest. So, yeah, and answer your question, no, I, I, to be honest, it was, it was really just my, my academic study and probably something just inherent in me that I, I always have that interest myself um, to a degree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make the comments. I think when I, when I started with EWB and started to surround myself with people who probably like what you would get now from, from the student clubs, it was really valuable. You know, it kind of helped me articulate what I cared about, seeing other people around me who cared about stuff and they, they knew, you know, had some understanding of some of the, um, some of the issues that I've come to work on now. It, um, yeah, just, just gave me a lot of um, very thought-provoking and, and helped me kind of crystallise you must have, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, this, I care about this stuff and, and, you know, and it's complex and, and I can learn from what these other people who are working on these issues are, you know, are, are doing and, and their experience as well. And so that, that, that journey for me really started after graduation. But, again, I think, I think it's kind of there more now for, for uni students in this day and age. Mm, that's kind of good to hear. I mean, that uh, there's more opportunities nowadays compared to... I guess, back uh, when you first, first started off. You know, segueing on from your undergrad journey, um, you mentioned, you know, uh, your first experience with these services. Um, mm. Could you kind of describe, you know, what work you kind of did and more, I guess, um, in terms of the solutions and what you, yeah. Sure, yeah, I had, I had this, this was, this is sort of, you know, when I um, graduated from uni, I, I worked for five years in what I call as sort of a, a proper engineer. It was probably more, you know, it was more focused on um, on the end, even though you know, I did mention it had that social aspect of the job with T-Services, they really were more commercially focused engineering roles. Um, and look, they, they gave a really good backing for, for um, understanding what, what it requires to be a professional engineer, you know, how do, how do projects unfold, how to understand risk and safety on a work site, um, you know what are the what what are professional standards? You know that's quite different, I guess, from from more um, theoretical learning that I had in had in university. And um, it was really valuable that the work experience, and it ultimately gave me some credibility when I I stepped into um, more engineers without borders type style work. Um, that that backing in in more um, conventional engineering, you know, I think was a was a really useful grounding and. Um, yeah, to then be able to apply that those sorts of skills in in other you know, other other cultural contexts as well. So um, it was funny, you know, they are really interesting roles, and and they you know um, as I, as I was saying, I, I learned quite a lot. I think with with both of them, I reached a point where um, something was missing for me, and and you know it's, I wasn't. I found it a little bit hard to articulate what that was, but, but I, I realised that something wasn't quite being satisfied and I, I couldn't really fake it anymore, I must say. And, and they, that's, that's sort of when I took, you know, my, my career took a bit of a right-hand turn 
um, uh, initially into into an engineers without borders project. Um, yeah, at that, at that point in time, when I yeah, after about five years of of working as as more of a conventional engineer. Yeah, and you you mentioned a few uh, skills that you obtained during uh, you know this work experience. Um, you know, for someone who has gotten into industry, what kind of advice do you have for uh, undergrads looking for that type of experience uh, in general? Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a good question. I think um, um, it's I even now I think when I think about my work, it's quite hard. I found it quite hard to articulate. The, the role, um, but what was useful for me and have, continues to be useful for me is to kind of articulate the sorts of um, maybe more broader broader qualities of, of what I would like to kind of experience in a job. So, you know, the things for me is like, e.g., um, um, I want my, I, I want to have a positive social um, outcome in whatever I do. I want to have a positive social environmental outcome in what I do. Um, I want to work with um, people who inspire me. Um, I want to be in a role where I can, um, you know, where I can continue to learn. Um, uh, so those those kind of more, you know, slightly less tangible. Um, oh, sorry, another one for me is yeah. I want to I want to be able to use my my skills that I've got already. You know, in my case, environmental engineering. Um, in, in those sorts of applications as well. So it was less like I want to be an engineer, this type of engineer with that type of company, but more those kind of qualities were more a screen for them to me when I would look at different roles, like, okay, how many of these boxes am I ticking, you know, or, or, or not ticking and, and what are the implications of that? I think that was a really useful exercise for me. And I, I find that even now when I think about, you know, my career 10 years, 10 years down the track, um, it's quite hard. The job title doesn't really help me, and sometimes a company often doesn't help me. But those sorts of qualities, I think, are I find them quite useful as a useful guide, I guess. So, yeah, for people who are looking, I think I think maybe articulate yeah you know, what you want, and and don't be afraid to ask it. I think my experience in working with younger people, showing um, you're proactive and you're, you've reflected and thought about those kind of things, are generally looked on really favourably um, by companies and. Um, you know, particularly when you're straight out of university too, I think you're probably at a good point where most things are pretty exciting because you've come out of probably what's mainly been a, a theoretical-based education. You're moving into getting a salary and working with teams and working on, you know, sometimes big and exciting projects too. So, um, you know, you, you might be a, have a little bit less discretion initially, um, but it's just a really fabulous opportunity to, to learn and, and, and yeah, soak in and, um, but also, I guess, keeping in context about those broader qualities that you might want to find and um, e.g., you know, having a social environmental impact. And I think more and more companies are, are kind of um, trying to, to think about those other things and seeing themselves more. You know, a lot of the engineering companies um, I see these days when they're pitching their, you know, their grad recruitment, they are, they are trying to talk to those kind of um, people who, who, who are interested in having a, you know, a, a social, having an impact, having a positive impact on the world. And, and so I, I'd say don't be shy about um, celebrating that and, and asking for it. Um, you know, it's also, of course, really useful just to talk to other people who are, who are working those, for those sorts of organisations to, um, to hear about their experience and their journey and, 
and and kind of picture, you know, what, do I want to be doing what they're doing, or you know, is, if I saw myself in five years, would I be happy doing what they're doing? And, and use that as a bit of a reflection point as well. Um, yeah, I think you know when you work for work for a, there's lots of things to consider, you know, and the sorts of scale of the organisation you might want to work for as well. So, for example, for me, um, I you know, big big organisations can be quite exciting, big budget, big projects. But I quite I like to um, you know the, the personal side of of work environments is really important to me. So for me, I, I quite like you know smaller, more agile organisations. And so the, just thinking the search sort of through those sorts of things, and and recognising as well for, for young engineers, you might start finding these things out after a bit of trial and error. You know, after being in a role for a while. And, realizing yeah actually i really love you know xyz about this company but this thing you know it's a little bit more more grating etc etc so yeah uh, that's definitely i think very valuable advice and just to kind of recap i think from my what i understand is um i guess to start off you know really figure out and identifying what you know you want to get out um what you want to do for your career you know in terms of social um positive environmental impact um, and seeing what companies align to you. Um, but also, you know, yeah, talking to various industry people who have worked in there and seeing if that aligns with your values and interests. Following on, yeah, speaking about like, you know, the trial and error aspect, um, you know, what was something that you did after these, these services and was, was there other opportunities that you trialed? Um, yeah, so I, I ended up... Um, um, you know, after after TISA, I worked um, for a water research laboratory as well. And again, it was similar to, similar to TISA. It gave me a different technical experience, and actually one that that was very valuable. And probably my, a lot of my my subsequent work has been around um, water supply and sanitation for um, low income countries. So very basic water supply or you know, access to, to toilets, etc. And you know, part of the reason I think I, I was um, able to move into that sector is because, yeah, my, my second role did focus more on water-related engineering, um, so looking at groundwater and, and um, water quality, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that again, sort of gave me a good technical background and some legitimacy um, that I've, you know, opened open doors, I guess, for me into, into the, the development sector, into the in the sector, they call it wash, water, sanitation, and hygiene. And when they talk about that, it's usually for in the low income, low income context. So, um, yeah, that role again gave me gave me a really good technical background. Um, but yeah, similar similar to, to Tease, I kind of like you know, something's quite not working for me here. And it was after that role when I started to articulate some of those things that I shared with you before. It's like okay, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to use my skills for positive social impact, you know, I was interested in travelling. Anyway, I, I was also in a bit of an exploration phase and going to talks and listening to, to other people share their stories and somehow stumbled across an engineers of that borders talk and they're talking about a, a water supply project in Indonesia and, and basically the project ticked all the boxes that I was looking for. It was very serendipitous. I'd never really even heard of engineers of that borders. They were quite new at that stage and um and yeah, they spoke about the role. So yeah, we're looking for someone you know, to to manage this project on the ground in Indonesia. And um, it was um, the role was working with a essentially like a volunteer group within a community of 
um, 4,000 people who really wanted to improve their water supply but didn't quite know how. Um, and, yeah, the, 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 the Australian EWB people were talking about this project and the light bulb kind of went off. It's like, wow, this is, this is exactly what I was looking for. Oh, I guess uh, the opportunity you took with EWB working mm. with um, low-income countries, it's, it's, you know, it seems like quite a unique experience or something not everyone um, would get a chance to, uh, you know, just in general go overseas and work mm. with those types of communities. Did you, what were some, like, you know, I guess, well, to keep it broad, what were some interesting things that you found? Um, or yeah, I, you know, it's, again, I, I think I, I, um, I was probably lucky that I, you know, probably say, got a little bit of emotional intelligence and um, was generally good at working with people. And so those, those skills really carried me into that particular role. But also, um, um, you know, I didn't, didn't have the, the grace of, for example, um, having exposure to engineers about borders or, or that kind of social technical interface that much really either in my education or in my, in my previous two jobs. And so I was somewhat... Um, um, somewhat learning on the fly, I guess, in, in that particular role. But it was it was amazing. It was you know the uh, just to just to paint the picture. Um, you know the 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 village that I was working in, for example, they had had a government project. I think probably twenty or thirty years ago, who supplied water to them, and they were just not included in the process whatsoever. And so the the the, the, the engineering solution that was delivered to them at the time just really didn't meet their needs and they had no idea how to maintain the system um it wasn't designed well it didn't really consider the the, the social context etc cetera, etc cetera. and um the really powerful thing about that project is like is is that that aspiration that they had they said um we want to be involved in this project right from the beginning they're, they're really um, adamant that it was their project and um i was really you know, um, blessed in a way that the engineers of that board people managing it had really taken that on board. They're like, this is their project. We're there to support their aspirations and and not to lead to just support support their vision. And so um, my role, you know, was really fun because um, it wasn't just pure design. It was really the water supply situated within their culture. You know, for, it, was, it was in a Hindu culture where water was very important for the ceremony as well as day-to-day living, you know, cooking, cleaning, bathing, etc., harvest, you know, rice harvest, etc. And so having an understanding of that sort of cultural context was as more important than actually um, the, the technical context, like how much water they need, where's that going to come from? You know, clearly that stuff was important too, but but really that knowledge needed to be um, you needed to have that knowledge before you could do good design. And so yeah, I got to I got to explore that side of the culture with with people, and that you know, that was so 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 welcoming, and so um, just spending a lot of time walking and talking through a beautiful part of the world, and and learning about the, the culture and, and the people in that particular village, and um, and that um, you know, it, it would be easier to write that off as just fun, but it was actually really important context to them. Um, work out okay. How would how would a water supply fit within this situation of um, you know what village life is like and how things are managed already and, and where they wanted to go. Um, so that that was that was a really formative project and I was really lucky that I just struck gold. It was a fantastic 
um, place to work in and that they were really clear what they wanted. Sometimes my experience is that's not the case. Um, they were also really clear that um, they had ownership over the project, um, had a really fantastic management team um, who were really backing them for it. And I was also really supported, so I had people to call on when I um, didn't know what to do as well. So certainly, you know, you often think you need to know everything, but you don't. And so there was some of the technical stuff too where um, it was over my pay grade, so to speak, so I just had other people who I could draw on to, to help me. And so it was really walking through that process and it was a very slow burn project and that was part of it too. You know, if, if that, the, the actual technical solution in that case was very simple. If you came in as an engineer, you could probably have a design and have people, you know, have water coming out of a tap in, in a month and, and it was, I was there for 18 months and the project itself went on for probably three or four years and, and the fact that it went at the pace of um, the people in the community was one of the reasons why it was so successful. Um, another well, potential segue we could go into is you mentioned how the, you know, the systems and the solutions that they already had in place before weren't, uh, I guess, working as efficiently or um, mm. had some issues. Um, and I also noticed that you, for your PhD, you did something related to this. Mm. Um, yeah. Did you want to comment on that? Yeah. Was that something that inspired you to for it the research actually, yeah. yeah it's a good good yeah well picked up yeah exactly that that kind of project originally was was probably the, the you know after, after that role um i went on to um you know work with engineers of that borders for another five five or six years i think and um and subsequently ended up in doing it doing a phd a little bit after that and yeah exactly it was totally inspired by that experience and you know that that experience about for me that project was very hyper local was working in you know, the four, village with 4,000 people, whereas the, the institute that I did my research on more look at kind of the whole system, you know, how, how did, how did you know, not just that one village, but how does the whole governance of, of water and management of water happen at a, at a much broader level, um, kind of support, um, yeah, support more equal access to, to water and sanitation. And my, my I guess, um, the, the project ended up working on for my research um, was looking at um, uh, slight digression, but in most low-income countries all around the world, you have a situation like I had. I was working with the community in Indonesia. Where you have a group of volunteers. The government, the government sort of says, okay, that with all these this rural population who have poor access to water, we don't have the money or the resources to go out and build all these systems and manage them. So what we're going to do is we're going to have volunteer community people manage water within their community. So you can imagine if you were living in that place, you might be collecting money from your neighbours, doing repairs, keeping the site clean, um, troubleshooting, um, yeah, doing doing maintenance as it comes up. And that, that model has delivered water to, you know, millions and millions of people around, around the world actually, but it's also had a lot of problems as well because, um, you know, it meant, has meant in some places the government's washed their hands of their responsibility or they've they've left people um, on their own without providing them ongoing support or ongoing training or, you know, finance is something really serious goes wrong. Um, so I was looking at, it's quite a niche area, I was looking at the motivations of those people who volunteer and so what actually drives them to want to manage water, to, to, to do those repairs, to 
go to their neighbours and say, sorry, you know, it's time for you to pay. Even when money might be scarce, it's time for you to you know, whatever, pay, your, pay your monthly fee. And how do, how do um, program designers actually either support or mess up those motivations um, when you come in to design a water project? And so it might sound a bit like psychology, and it was. It was a mixture of um, both engineering, so, okay, um, what, are, what are people doing to keep these systems running? Um, um, international development, so looking at this in a, in a low-income country context, and psychology, like what are, they, what are people's individual motivations to actually do this work? Because they're important, like uh, the, the people maintaining the system were one piece of the, the system that kept the water running, but, but they're an important piece because really they were at the, the bleeding edge, so to speak. If, they, if the water, water supply broke down, like in one of the, one of the villages I, I was interviewing people, for example, before there was a water supply, um, in the dry season, the women would walk, you know, as much as four hours, four or five hours to get one bucket of water and they'd leave one or two in the morning, leaving in a group to, to kind of, you know, ensure some level of safety. And so if those things aren't made, if they're not um, operating it, it's, it matters, it matters a lot. So, yeah, I was looking at their, their motivations. Um, yeah, it was really fun. It was a bit of an accident I fell into the PhD, I must say. I, 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 you might have gathered from some of my answers. I like working with people. Um, I like the collaborative process. And a PhD can be quite solitary and isolating at times. Um, that's saying, you know, that was a fieldwork component. But surprisingly, found it really, really interesting and really insightful. Um, and I think ultimately, hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm more effective at, at what I do as well. So, yeah. And... And so just to clarify, was, um, did you look at, like, um, you know, various volunteer groups at uh, different locations or? Yeah, yeah. So there was six, six villages I went to. So the, the country I ended up, my research ended up being in, which was slightly by accident, was in um, Malawi, which is uh, in eastern, southeastern mm-hmm. Africa. And um, so, yeah, there were six kind of villages that I was, I was interviewing um, those people who were responsible for managing water to, to understand what their motivations were. And, you know, the, the motivations thing is really interesting because it's, it's really universal, you know, what, what drives us as, as humans and, and is, like, it, it was an interesting experience for me because going through a PhD because, I, you know, I'd be reflecting on my own motivations. Why am I doing this PhD? When, am, when do I have... You know, when am I when am when am I in a state of flow, for example, with my PhD, and when I'm when I'm like, oh, I'm just really over this, and it, it's you know, it's 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 a very universal principle, and I was sort of looking at that with the with the the people who are managing water too. You know, what what was it that made them go the extra mile with their management, and what similarly, what was it that you know um, meant they're like, actually, I'm over this, you know, I've, I've had enough, and I, I'm checking out, or you know do half a job instead of the, the full job, that kind of thing. So, and I think even though, even though my, my context was in Malawi, you know, a lot of that learnings is um, how do you design with people or for people and how do, you, how do you consider the kind of... With engineering, everything can often be quite black and white with design, but when you involve people, you know, that you have different attitudes and values and um, histories and education and things just get a lot more grey and I think in my mind a lot more interesting as well and... Um, you know that that's that's the same for anywhere in Australia as it is for Malawi actually, and I think that that that's just really interesting to me actually as well. How do you design in, in those you know with that kind of 
grayness with that human complexity when you bring that into your projects. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, and then moving on from your PhD, was mm. this, uh, so you continued in this, well, like, um, I guess, brought like Institute um, Sustainable Futures yeah. and um, yeah. was, is that right? And then, so you've now become a senior research consultant. Um, That's right, yeah. Yeah, and could you, I don't know, describe some of the work that you do now? And yeah, sure, sure. what you hope to achieve? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think I'll, I'll, um, I'm doing a little bit of independent consulting work and, and some work with UTS as well. So just, for example, one of the independent roles I had recently was looking at um, greater Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander engagement in engineering um, for student engineers. So, you know, what is it, what is it that could or, or does drive um, Aboriginal people to, to think about engineering as a career? So it's sort of trying to break that down and, and research is often... Um, you know, less about hard design, but, but sort of asking asking kind of juicy questions to, to work out what are some of the causal factors that, that support or promote social change. That was one project. Another, you know, really fun one I'm working at the moment at UTS is um, with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They had this competition, I think it was 10 or 12 years ago, called the Reinvented Toilet Competition. And basically people were inventing these lose you know toilets from the future and they're, they're probably we're probably not going to see them in people's homes for maybe another 15 years but they're really um they're really fancy basically you know some of them some of them for example they'll you know they'll separate they'll filter the wee and then be reusing that um in the flushing system and they'll they'll take the the feces, the poo, and then dry that and burn it and use that to run a generator within the system. Like, they're, they're crazy. They're really amazing technology. <laughs> There's some great YouTube videos if you're interested in that kind of stuff. So, um, and I'm, um, yeah, along with my colleagues, we're looking at, okay, so what about how do these toilets stack up in a, in a climate climate change scenario? So a lot of them are off-grid. You know, they're, they're recycled. They're, they're a closed-loop system. They're, you know, they require either no or very little water input or no or very little energy input so in theory they you know they, they should be good for things like floods but we're trying to actually um dive in a little bit deeper and so the designers when they're designing say so, okay so if we wanted this to to last in a in a context of climate change you know flood drought changing temperatures you know all these different scenarios which could impact the actual structure could impact the way treatment happens you know what what would need to happen or, or how do we even start to assess that? So, yeah, that one's, that one's really fun. You know, there's, there's lots of um, universities that have come up with these toilets and we're, we're working with them and the foundation to, to do that assessment. Um, um, I'll just talk about one other, pro one more project too is um, actually this one, this one's coming up. So I haven't actually started this one is, is looking at the sustainable development goals. So for those of you who don't know, they're, oh, they're SDGs. A group of, yeah, SDGs, exactly. They're kind of a globally agreed um, group of goals that deal with things like, um, yeah, sustainability issues, so gender, gender equality, water and sanitation, access to education, et cetera. And with a colleague, we're looking at how, you know, how, what, what, how much money is needed in, in the Pacific, so think of islands like Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, Fiji, et cetera, how much money is needed um, to meet the SDGs around water and sanitation? So what would a government need to need to spend in each of those countries if we actually want to keep um, you know, access for all for, for water and sanitation? And, you know, the, the kind of things, research is interesting for me. It's, it's like 
I would have thought someone knew those the answers to those already, but they don't. And you know, research is really important to start to ask those questions and understand those questions, and then from that, people come up with strategies like, okay, we need X, X, you know, hundred million dollars over the next ten years to 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 deliver, you know, in that case, um, water and sanitation. How's that going to happen? Who's going to do that? And how do we prioritize that? That kind of thing. So, um, I think I think that's what the PhD really taught me is yeah how to ask you some questions and how to actually design your research to to answer that in a way that um, stands up you know stands up to to, to criticism or or to yeah, to people um, who then use that information to to build designs based on based on your research. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's great here. Um, unfortunately, we're kind of nearing towards the end of the podcast, and I just wanted yeah. to throw one more. I guess, uh, yeah, one more question at you. And uh, it's something related to what you brought up, like the SDGs. Do you think, um, like, do you think Australia, in terms of Australia um, and, like, us as a community, do you think we're contributing enough towards the SDGs or, um, yeah, what kind of progress? Or yeah. What's, yeah, like, how how would you comment on the progress that Australia is making? It's <laughs> a really it's a good question, and I, I probably can't dive into the into the the weeds of detail enough. But I mean, yeah, if, no. I'll just maybe make one comment that really stood out mm. for me. And someone once described it as it's not just raising the floor, so it's not just you know supporting low income countries. It's also lowering the ceiling. So recognizing that in um, countries like Australia, we. we we are just so so lucky, and we, you know we actually re- live, live really really comfortable comfortable lives. Um, but have also you know a lot of that comfort and wealth has come up on the back of burning fossil fuels and environmental exploitation and um, colonization to a degree as well. And so um, that the SDGs really don't require not just raising the floor, but also lowering the ceiling. That that it's also about a redistribution of. Um, of, of wealth and, and, and power. And I think um, that's, that's something that the SDGs um, were really different from, from the Millennium. Millennium Development Goals are more focused on, okay, what can we do to, to raise the floor to, to kind of help you know, more, more low-income countries, whereas SDGs is also um, not just about, yes, we need to do that. We also need to reflect in Australia how we are achieving the SDGs, but also, you know, um, how, how we can be part of that, that we distributing wealth and, and, and power both domestically and globally as well. Mm. So, yeah, of course, there's, there's always more, more to do too. Um, but that, that's just, I think, something that, um, yeah, I often consider when, when I'm talking to people about the SDGs as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's an um, interesting take on the question. And, yeah, I guess that kind of brings us to the end of today's podcast um or episode uh and you know just to recap you know we uh, explored a bit about ian's undergrad journey why he and how he got into engineering in the first place um yes uh some advice here as well he, he offered some advice on how to um, navigate your way into industry and we also uh spoke about his uh or we, we discussed a bit about his different projects and um towards the end we talked about um his phd and um, his current work as a uh, research consul- consultant or, um, you know, I really, I just want to yeah, thank Ian again for his time um, being able to make it today and joining us today. And, you know, for our audiences, 
if if you have any questions for um, Ian, um, feel free to uh, send us. Oh, sorry. Feel free to feel free to send forward us the questions, and and we'll be happy to pass it to Ian after the episode. And in terms of the next episode, uh, our next guest is Eleanor Earl. If you do have any questions for Eleanor, feel free to submit the questions via our uh, Google form, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll see if we can integrate that into the next episode. Did you have any final uh, words? Did you want to say, Ian? No, just thanks. Yeah, thanks for creating the space for, for me to share my story as well. And yeah, as Ron said, any any questions, just send them through UWB, UNSW, and happy to keep discussing in another, for, another forum.